Hello and welcome to Do The Film Thing, a film appreciation and analysis podcast. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, and this is episode three of season one. On this podcast, I explore various elements of a film that leave an impression on me, from the visuals to the themes and production history, just to name a few. In this audio essay, we will be diving into the 1994 Hong Kong feature Chungking Express, written and directed by Wong Kar Wai, and starring Takeshi Kaneshiro, Bridget Lin, Tony Liang, and Fei Wong. A stylish glimpse into loneliness and romantic longing, Chungking Express follows two cops, both played by Takeshi Kaneshiro and Tony Leung, who both deal with breakups of their own and muse over their thoughts and experiences with falling into, losing, and chasing love. At the center of their stories lie two distinct women, one a mysterious lady disguised in a blonde wig and sunglasses, and the other a young snack bar worker with an interest in interior decorating. Like the narrative of the film itself, Chunking Express was shot in two locations. The first story of the film transpires in the famed Chunking Mansions, located in the Simsha Sui district of Kowloon, while the second story takes place at a snack bar the Express of the film's title, which is located in central Hong Kong. The first story follows two main characters, the lovelorn Cop 223, played by Takeshi Kaneshiro, and an enigmatic blonde-wigged woman, played by the iconic Taiwanese actress Bridget Lin, in one of her final acting roles before retiring in 1994. The second story focuses on Cop 663, played by Tony Leung, and Fei Wong's character, also named Fei, who works at the snack bar that 663 frequents. Interestingly, none of the four main characters in the film, with the exception of Fei Wong's role, are given names. To me, this speaks to the sense of the character's sense of loneliness and being lost in a restless, sprawling urban jungle. With 223 and the mysterious blonde in particular, they are just two more faces standing shoulder to shoulder amidst an ever-growing crowd of unknown faces, making their way through the labyrinthine, cramped corridors of the Chungking mansions. Storefronts and restaurants of various wares and goods standing a mere arm's length across from one another, bustling with thousands of people with thousands of stories to tell, some mundane, some perhaps thrilling with unseen dangers lurking behind curtains and doorways. For the purposes of this audio essay, I will refer to these characters by their respective actors' names rather than just their numbers or characteristics. The film opens with Bridget walking briskly through the tight, crowded corridors of Chunking mansions, clad in a trench coat, red sunglasses, and blonde wig. Meanwhile, Takeshi pursues a suspect up and down the halls, very briefly brushing past Bridget while in pursuit. He narrates that this is the closest contact that he and Bridget will ever have, as we will later find out towards the conclusion of their half of the film. Beginning with these opening moments, we see an example of the kinetic visual sensibilities of Wong Kar Wai and the film's two directors of photography, Wong's longtime collaborator Christopher Doyle, as well as cinematographer and director Andrew Lau, the co-director of the Infernal Affairs trilogy with Alan Mock. 
Chunking Express employs use of step printing, a slow motion, stuttering effect, which gives the footage a dreamlike quality where some subjects move slower or faster than others within the same shot. The jittery fast and slow frame rates that we see in the film sort of give us an idea of the solipsistic headspaces of both Takeshi and Bridget, as well as that of the characters of Tony, aka Cop 663, and Faye. Each of them are adrift in their own thoughts and, in the case of Takeshi and Tony, navel-gazing philosophizing of their love-starved lives. Meanwhile, the world just whizzes by, constantly in motion. Takeshi is dealing with the end of his relationship with his ex-girlfriend, whom we learn is named May. He mentions that he and his ex split up on April Fool's Day, and he decides to cope with his loss by buying cans of pineapple with a sell-by date of May 1st, which coincidentally is also his birthday. Takeshi declares that if May does not change her mind by the time he's bought 30 cans, their love will expire. There's a scene where Takeshi attempts to buy more expiring cans of pineapple at a convenience store, only to find that they have all been replaced with fresh cans. He complains to the clerk, stating that people are so hung up on freshness and how wasteful it is that the fruit that has been grown, harvested, and sliced can just be thrown away. One gets the sense that Takeshi is really lamenting what he lost in his relationship, something that he and his ex took time to cultivate, only for it to end. We are not told why their relationship ended, and the reason really isn't at all important. He eventually eats all 30 cans by himself in his apartment, and subsequently vomits his irrational decision. It's clear that Takeshi is a hopeless romantic, someone who seems to be in love with the idea-slash-concept of love more so than anything else. Even his voicemail password is a reflection of this, which is, Love you for 10,000 years. In the remastered Criterion edition from 2021, the subtitles read, Undying Love. This to me is also reflective of Takeshi's resistance to the idea that love, like everything else in life, eventually comes to an end. There's even a brief scene where we see Takeshi arriving too late at the snack bar. He was supposed to meet another woman, also named Mei. Apparently the past is not easy for him to relinquish. He also strikes out over the phone when he tries to score dates with other women he knew from his past. One of them tells him that she's already married. Meanwhile, Bridget is dealing with an entirely different situation. She's running a drug smuggling operation, weaving her way through the densely packed storerooms and corridors of chunking mansions, constantly on edge. Things soon go wrong and she fends off and flees from her attackers. Who is coming after her? Was she betrayed? And if so, by whom? It certainly sounds like the perfect setup for an intense crime thriller, but instead, this entire scenario is merely incidental. In a conversation with Anderson Lee, director of programming for the Hawaii International Film Festival, which was covered by Jason Sanders in Filmmaker Magazine, published in May 2019, Wong Kar Wai explained the practical reasons for this creative decision, stating that in the 1990s, quote, in order to receive financing for films in Hong Kong, you'd have to tell the distributors what the premise of the film is. You couldn't just say that it's a story about Hong Kong or music, but instead you'd have to explain to them that the movie is about a very dangerous woman and detectives are trying to get her. 
then the distributors will believe that you're doing a cop story, so there's your funding, which is why both of the main characters in Chunking Express are cops, end quote. And so it's really quite the inspired approach to have a film where you have these genre markings on the surface, a seedy urban setting, a mysterious criminal femme fatale, two cops, and using these tropes to present something much more unique and intriguing. In fact, Wong initially planned to include a third story in the film focused on hitmen and their romantic dealings, which eventually became his next feature, the 1995 neo-noir romantic crime drama Fallen Angels. Both Bridget and Takeshi eventually cross paths towards the end of their half of the film when he approaches her at a bar. After yakking up his spoiled pineapple meal, he resolves to fall in love with the first woman who walks into the venue. In comes Bridget, exhausted from being pursued and set up and just looking for a modicum of solace. When the evening winds down, they soon make their way to a hotel room. Now in any other film, you could see where this situation would go. But instead, their encounter turns into a rather chaste evening, where Bridget is passed out on the bed, and Takeshi instead watches old movies and eats some chef salad. Ever the gentleman, Takeshi takes off Bridget's shoes and wipes them before he leaves the hotel at the crack of dawn and goes for a jog in the rain. Earlier in the film, Takeshi says, quote, The body loses water when you jog, so you have none left for tears. End quote. Seeing him drenched in the rainfall, perhaps it's the film's way of telling the lovelorn cop that he cannot simply ignore his heartbreak or drown it under some old pineapples. There is no way but forward. Even Bridget calls him to wish him a happy birthday. Misery, love, both can last as long or expire as fast as we want them to. In the film's second story, we are brought to a snack bar that Tony, another lovelorn police officer, frequents in Central. His girlfriend, a stewardess, leaves a note for him and a copy of his apartment keys at the snack bar, which Faye receives. Oddly enough, when Faye tries to give Tony his partner's note, he nonchalantly says that eh, he'll pick it up later. Looking back at this moment, it seems that he knows that his girlfriend broke up with him, so refusing to grab the letter allows him to avoid confronting this reality directly. He copes with his love loss in his own way by giving the various objects in his apartment encouraging pep talks, even telling a wet towel to stop crying. Faye takes a liking to Tony, even going so far as to enter his apartment while he's away, not to his knowledge, redecorating his place during each trip, to which he does not even notice at all. There's a much odder and more whimsical vibe to this second half of the film. Repetition is a core element to Tony and Faye's story, most prominently with the reprise of the song California Dreamin' by the Mamas and the Papas, which Faye frequently jams to. We see the handful of times where Faye runs into Tony, who is having lunch outside, and asks him what he's up to so that she can sneak into his apartment while he's at work, taking time to clean his home and even switching the labels on his cans for a bit of mischief, only for him to not notice anything out of the ordinary. And so it goes. 
On the commentary track of the Criterion Collection Blu-ray of the movie, film critic and historian Tony Raines points out this deliberate repetition, which is also reflected in how both characters seem to be gradually switching roles as their half of the film unfolds. For instance, the second story begins with Tony and his soon-to-be ex-girlfriend spending time together while the Dinah Washington song, What a Difference a Day Makes, plays on the soundtrack. Faye starts out working at the snack bar, and her first encounter with Tony is when he arrives and tries to order some food while she has California Dreamin' blaring in the background. In the middle of their story, Tony listens to California Dreamin' in his apartment, thinking it's his ex-girlfriend's CD, and subsequently, Faye plays What a Difference a Day Makes in the snack bar. Tony tells her that that song is not right for her. Perhaps an indication of his resistance of Faye bearing any resemblance to his former partner. Funnily enough, Faye follows the path of Tony's ex-girlfriend by becoming a stewardess herself towards the end of their tale, while Tony actually takes over the snack bar and blasts California Dreamin' when Faye comes back to visit her old job. As the saying goes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Chunking Express was shot in six weeks. The first half of the film has a bit of an autobiographical element to it, as Wong Kar Wai grew up in Sim Sha Sui. Wong explained in his 2019 conversation with Anderson Lee, covered in Filmmaker Magazine, that he sent one of his assistant directors to spend a month living in Chungking mansions so that they could give him notes and routes between each floor in preparation to shoot. Wong and his crew did not actually have any permits to shoot at the mansions, so they essentially had to shoot just long enough to avoid the building security. After the film's release and success, the director also mentioned in his interview that, quote, When we did Fallen Angels, we became like VIPs, as Chunking Express had made the mansions very famous worldwide. It's good for the tourists, it's good for their business, their reputation, so we suddenly had better treatment, end quote. Wong also discussed Bridget Lin's involvement in the film, as they both originally envisioned her character to be inspired by Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard, presumably Gloria Swanson's role of Norma Desmond, and Gina Rowland's gangster mall character from the John Cassavetes film, Gloria. Because they were filming at the mansions, and time was a significant factor, Wong decided to put sunglasses and a wig on Lin in order to avoid her spending hours in the makeup chair. Now, it was a rather bold choice to put one of Hong Kong's biggest stars behind shades and a wig, but Lin embraced a fresh approach to a role. The freewheeling nature of Chunking Express is also attributed to Wong's approach to script writing, as he actually did not start filming with a complete screenplay. Instead, he would write dialogue and scenes on location and give them to the actors just before shooting. Now, such an approach to writing and filmmaking would certainly prove to be the undoing of a less skilled director, but it's this quasi-improvisational method of creating a story that really infuses the film with an energy and rhythm that makes Wong such an original artist behind the camera. Chunking Express earned critical success upon its release, winning in four categories at the 14th Hong Kong Film Awards in 1995 for Best Film, Best Director, Best Actor for Tony Leung, and for Best Film Editing. 
Upon its wide release in the United States in March 1996, it received additional praise from critics, including the late great Roger Ebert, and it was nominated in 1997 by the Independent Spirit Awards for Best Foreign Film. The movie was also released on DVD in the early 2000s through Quentin Tarantino's Rolling Thunder imprint, and was later re-released by the Criterion Collection in 2008 on Blu-ray. Chunking Express was recently re-released once again in 2021 by Criterion via the World of Wong Kar Wai Blu-ray box set, which contains a remastered and restored in 4K version of the film. And so that wraps it up for this week's episode of Do The Film Thing. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please tune in next week for episode four of season one. Once again, my name is Victor Omoyo. And as always, remember to do the film thing always. <laughs>